Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. I've been spending the past two weeks studying a passage of scripture uh, from the Bible, and I'm just going to share with my friends here um, what, what, we, what, we, uh, what we discover and what we can learn from this passage. Um, but before we do that, I have a confession to make. And, uh, and um, this might be true of, of me, but it's probably true of a lot of people because it's, it's happening a lot. I'm very susceptible to clickbait. Now, for those who don't know what clickbait is, clickbait is this thing that happens on the internet where they give you like a title of something and a picture of something, and then, and then you're just like, oh, I do want to see 33 historical photos. And number 12 will astonish me? Absolutely. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm very much prone to being like, I, I, I want to see Niagara Falls drained out. Or, 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 or where are the actors from Power Rangers now? I need to know. I, don't really, I never really watched Power Rangers, but I need to know now where they are. I won't believe how this person will look now. Um, I came across this uh, thing on Facebook recently. This is uh, clickbait Old Testament stories. So you can see this next picture here. Um, there's, there's four of them. My favorite is number two. Why did this man order 300 cubits of gopher wood? The reason will shock you. Or, or the last one at the very back, the top 10 commandments, number seven will blow your mind. Um, and why does this work? I, I, I was trying to think about this, like why, why does this work on me? Why, why am I so prone to being like, I wanna click on this, I wanna see what, what's happening here. I think it's because I like knowing things. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an elementary school teacher, so, so when I know things, I feel like, yeah, I know things. I know more than everyone else. Did you know that Niagara Falls was once completely drained out? Yeah, I know. I saw it on my clickbait thing. I, well, actually, knowledge is an addictive thing. The more you have of it, the more you want more of it, and the more you're just like, I, I want to know things. I, I want to know. I know. I, I want to know things. Um, now we're in a series on the Book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible, and walking into Revelation is sometimes kind of like walking into a museum of modern art. You get to a page and you're like. I don't understand this. Kind of just like when you're in a museum and you're like, why are there three lines on this wall? How is this art? How, why is this worth millions of dollars? I don't understand. Um, but there's something about art, good art, that will make you feel something, that will change the way you view something, that will shape your mind, that will shape the way you understand something. And Revelation is a book that's not about um, necessarily information. It's a book written about transformation. It's a message to the church in its struggle. And even though it's hard for us to understand, it's actually something that very, for the people who first read the Bible, uh, the people who, who read the letter of Revelation for the first time, because it was a letter, it was basically a letter that was sent to a series of churches in which the, the Apostle John um, or a man named John, we're not exactly sure which John it is, um, but John had a vision, a revelation of, from God. Uh, an angel spoke to him, and as the angel spoke to him, uh, revealed the world as he's supposed to understand it. Not just the world now, the world now, how Jesus sees the churches now, 
but also the church that was to come and the events that were to come and how even the story would end at the very end. So it was a large, big story. And Revelation comes from the Greek apocalypsis, which is uh, uh, why in French, when you read your Bible, you get to the end, it's apocalypse. You're like, oh my goodness, there's the explosions at the end or something. Because you hear the word apocalypse in French, you're like, oh man, this is going to be exciting. Whereas in English, it's a bit more tame. But it's the same word, the same Greek root, which means revelation. And for the first readers, they would, they would hear Revelation and they would read things. And, and it would, it's kind of like, a bit like us when we watch them. Like, I, I'm a big fan of Marvel movies. And sometimes I'll watch a movie with my wife who hasn't watched all the clickbait things and doesn't know all the super Marvel heroes. And I'll be like, I know who that person is. Or I get that part. I know what that they're referring to. And then she's like, I, okay, that's fine. But um, those who read Revelation would read things, and if they knew their Bibles, if they knew their Old Testament, they would be like, I know this story. I know this part. So in Zechariah 4, we can read, and this, then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up, like someone wakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it, with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right, of the bull, and then the other on its left. Reading this, we're like, what does it mean? We're like modern art. But those who read Revelation, and the passage we're about to read in a little bit, they're part of churches, and these churches are referred to as lampstands. And when they hear the word lampstand, they, if they knew their Bibles and they know their Old Testament, their mind goes, bing, I know this. I know this character. I know this story. And they can see the link between the stories they heard in the Old Testament with lampstands, and they realize that the churches now, that, are, that the passages are being written about, um, are these lampstands. And that's why we're in this series called Flickering Lampstands, because the author of Revelation, uh, Jesus, in Revelation, refers to the churches as lampstands. And the challenge today, as I bring this message, and we're going to read it together in this passage, is, is, is are we going to come here? Are we here this morning for information, something clever that we can share with our friends later, or are we here for transformation? Do we come to church for information or for transformation? Because that's the invitation that Jesus has for the churches, not just to be informed. And if you, if you go to Revelation looking for exact, like the, the 10 reasons why Jesus should do this or the 10 reasons why we should act way. That's not how we're, we're not going to find the 10 commandments in Revelation. What we're going to find is an invitation to be transformed by the person of Jesus. And every week we've been talking about a different church that received this letter because there were seven churches that it was written to. And these were actual historical churches. And today we're, we're, we're looking at the church of Thyatira and I might mispronounce this one multiple times. I've looked up multiple times how Thyatira is pronounced. Um, but Thyatira is an actual place. And these are, it was written to actual people who lived in Thyatira. And Thyatira is in modern-day Turkey uh, and is in the town of Akashar. And you can see in the picture that you have right here that the, the ruins of this basilica in, in, in Thyatira, this is the actual ruins of the church of Thyatira, um, is surrounded by city. It's surrounded by a village. And if, and if you looked at, came to the previous series, you saw that a lot of these other places, like in Ephesus or Philippi, or there's, there's ruins around it. Here the ruins are in the middle of a city. Because Thyatira 
And Akashar today was an industrial commercial city, not too unlike some areas of Montreal today as well, still. Um, it was a place known for smelting, for copper and bronze work, for fine clothes, for linens, for pottery. And, and interestingly, it continued, this city continued on and continued being a center of commerce and, hub, and a hub for trade. It went from pottery later to olive oil, to merchandises, to cigarettes, to automobile parts. The city of Akashar and Thyatira are still alive today. And the church in Thyatira survived until 1922 when there was a war between Greece and Turkey that, that maybe that brought the end to it. But it is a church that lasted thousands of years. Now, it was a church also that was known for its commerce, but by commerce it was also known for its guilds. Now, a guild is a group of merchants that would get together and would cooperate to probably set prices, not probably too unlike our oil prices here in Canada, but, um, but also, but, but the idea was if you can, if you can co organize, if you can cooperate, you can, you can make a bit more money. So, so there was, there's, a, there's always, a, in a commercial city, there's always an advantage to being on the inside track, to being a part of that company uh, or, or have that association. Well, I'm part of the bronze working guild, I can charge this amount. And if I'm not part of this bronze working guild, well, you're not going to make any money because the, the, big, the big owners are going to drive you out of business. There was this commercial, um, you know, it's like, like any commercial enterprise, there's a certain level of greed, but there's also a certain level of religiosity to it. Um, you, you're either with us or you're against us. You're either part of the group or you're against the group. And um, th interestingly, Thyatira is one of the first places in the world where they minted coins. So metal coins, like the ones that we use today, they had in Thyatira, and a lot of them were made of copper and bronze. And on these copper and bronze coins, and this is an actual one dating from the time of Jesus, and um, yeah, so it's a bit earlier than, than, than the story here, but it is still the kind of coins you would see at the time, and that you can still dig up in archaeological finds in the place. And on one side, you have the, the god Apollo, who they would worship. And the, which is the god of the, bronze, of, the, of the bronze smelters. And you would have, on the other side, what they would call the son of God, the emperor. Now, the emperor being, of course, their Caesar. And to, to use this money, to make money, to get coins like this, you need to be part of a guild. You need to, 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 to make money. You need to, to, to perform um, certain rituals, certain, be part of certain fellowship groups. Uh, they would call them fellowship meals in which they'd have like religious ceremonies that would involve food, drinking, probably women, um, probably some kind of sexual immorality of some kind. There was a whole mix of like, if you wanted to be a part of the in crowd, you needed to be committed to this kind of, uh, this kind of group. And in this environment, there was a church. And we don't quite know exactly how this church was founded, but we do know that when Paul went to Philippi, that one of the first disciples he made was a woman named Lydia who was from uh, Thyatira. So it's very possible that it was her family or people that she knew that eventually, uh, in the linen trade, that eventually became the, the people in this church. And this church we're gonna discover is going through something difficult. So let's, let's, if you have your Bibles, let's, let's open, let's go to the passage. It's in Revelations 2, verse 18. And uh, if you don't have your Bibles, it will be on the screen. 
as well. These are the words of Jesus. So, so the idea is the angel brings the words of Jesus to the church. Uh, to the, uh, is the, Jesus is speaking to the church and to the angel of the church. And it says, to the angel of the church of, in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. These could be referring to the, the, uh, even the, the, the bronze trade and stuff in Thyatira. These are words that they would understand. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her, of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay to each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold on to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations, that one will rule them with an iron scepter, and I will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I, I, I enjoy how it always ends with let, the, let them hear what the Spirit says. That's kind of my prayer right now, too, that, that through, these passage, through this passage, God will use his Spirit to speak to all of us in this. And we do hear some harsh words for the church, but also some good words. And often, you know, when we're in a situation when, when someone's trying to correct us, we, 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 we do the sandwich technique, which is you, you say you're doing really well at this, you should fix this. Oh, but you're actually really doing this. And so you kind of like squeeze the bad uh, correction in between the two things we're asking for. Um, but now, but now uh, uh, we have this, um, this story. So we, 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 t we try not to, f there is this harsh message in the middle of the story, but there's also something that this church is doing well. So the first thing we find out is that, 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 the, that Jesus knows his church and he knows their deeds. He knows their love. He knows their faith. And um, he knows their perseverance and that they're improving and doing better than they, than, they, than they once were. So there is something really good happening in Thyatira. But there's also something that is um, not great. The church is being divided. And this prophet is sending them the, the message that we're reading in Revelation right here. But there's also other prophets in this church so this church is divided, and there's these questions of, well, who's a prophet? Is this person a prophet, or is this message that I'm receiving 
and reading in Revelation the, the message, what is acceptable behavior? Some people are saying this is acceptable behavior. Other people are saying this is not acceptable behavior. And then even like there's this, this question about these secrets, like what is this truth? And there's this, some people who are claiming a deep truth that's, and other people who are like, well, you know, what, what's, you know, what is really truth? And then you have this third, the fourth question of like, well, what's going to happen to these people if they continue acting the way they do? I have a hard time imagining what that would be like. I, it makes me a bit grateful for a church where there is maybe less of this division, but could you imagine being in a, in, in a church and receiving this letter, and the person, whoever this Jezebel is, is in the room when it's being read out loud. I can imagine there'd be a bit of tension, and you'd be like really resisting the urge to kind of like, like look back. And like, not like, don't look at, it, don't look at that person, because uh, right? and the person who's 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 hearing this and maybe referring is the person even aware that maybe that John that that Jesus is referring to them in this? Like, what is the what is the feeling in that room? It's not easy. Imagine living through that. It's difficult. And the word of that they're using, they're talking about a person called Jezebel. Now. This person might not have actually been named Jezebel. Um, it might have been, but it might not have been. Uh, more likely, and this is, there's a lot of imagery in Revelation, so more likely when they call this person, this prophet who's teaching these things that are contrary to what Jesus wants to be taught in this church, they talk about Jezebel. Now, Jezebel is a person of, of historical importance in Israel. Um, she was a person of authority. She married a king named Ahab. And uh, Ahab was an awful king, and there were a lot of awful kings before him, and there were a lot of awful kings after him. Um, and, uh, but, but one thing that Jezebel did in this situation, when she married into this royal family, she um, said, hey, I have these really cool religious ceremonies and stuff that we do at where I'm from. Let me include these in the worship of God. And so, so she, one, of the, one of the characteristics of Jezebel is that she introduces new spiritual practices like let's worship, um, let's worship through sex and sacrifice children. That was the kind of thing that they would bring in in the Old Testament times. Um, and not only that, when people were against what she was saying, she would have them killed. So she had a, a bit of a, a, a mean streak to her. Um, so she's known for having been one of the people who would include um, adulterous practices into the church. Now, adulterous practices, and that's a word that they use in, 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 the, uh, in the passage here, doesn't necessarily mean husbands cheating on their wives. It has to do with a different covenant. Now, as believers, we believe that, that, that Jesus um, invites us to, uh, to be forgiven through his sacrifice on the cross and to come into a new relationship that's been fixed with God through that sacrifice. Now, that relationship is a covenant. It's kind of almost like a marriage. You, you commit to it. And we all value commitment. No, everywhere in the world, um, there's this kind of idea that you need to be faithful to the person that you love. And, and, I, and the ideal is that the faithfulness lasts forever. And there's no worse crime in a lot of people's minds than, than cheating on the person that you're committed to. Now, Jezebel and what she's practiced in the Old Testament and what we're referring to even in this passage in Revelation is the idea of 
you have this commitment to God that comes through Jesus and his sacrifice. Let me cheat on that commitment by including other things that don't please God at all. That's the adultery there. It's this breaking of a commitment to God by including things that God is not okay with. So it's not, there, there might have, there, there was a sexual aspect to this, and if you want to discuss a little bit more or discover more about what this kind of the sexual ethics of, 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 of the time were, I'd invite you to, read, uh, to, to listen to last week's podcast in Pergamum that was something that was discussed as well. But, but we have this idea that Jezebel is innovating by bringing in these, these, this invitation to compromise in your faith. And like Jezebel, um, in the Old Testament, she has a position of authority. People view her as a prophet. And the result of that is what um, Jesus says is going to bring death. There's no harsher words in the first passages of Revelation than I will strike her children dead. That's, that's, that's intense. Now, I don't believe that she had 12 million children, and I don't believe either that they all committed adultery specifically with her, but the imagery is that there's severe consequences to following this compromising route of including these non-Christian practices in your life. And it comes to this idea that authority without character is deadly. It leads to death. And we've seen this. When you have a, a leader who has authority, who has power, who has influence, but who has a selfish character, who has uh, a character that, that requires them to, to worship only themselves or their stomach or, or do whatever they want, um, it brings death not only to them, but to those who want to follow them, to those who come after them. And there are consequences. And we can see the consequences of the bad behavior in Thyatira. They have a compromised ethics and witness. People watch them. So, so, so when Jesus says, I will, they will, they will, they will have suffering, well, the and those around will know what happened in Thyatira, well, it means that people are aware of them. There's also intense suffering and there, that'll come from this. Um, but there's also, there will, in the passage it says, there will be suffering unless there is repentance. So there's still that option of repentance. That whole idea of I will strike your children dead, her children dead, has to do with the fact that there will, there will be no offspring from this. So it kind of brings that adulterous imagery that, that there's, you know, whatever comes out of this will end up dying. Um, and there's a confusion again about truth, what's real, what's not. So, so what were they believing? The passage isn't really clear what these so-called deep secrets were. We don't really know what kind of evil practices were really included in this woman's teaching. But we do know that the church is always tempted to imagine that it knows more than its Lord. That's a, a quote by Joseph Mangini. Um, and that's often the case. We love information. Just like I said, like it, sometimes it, it, it drives us and we'll click on things because we want to learn more or know more. But we like to pretend sometimes that the church knows more than Jesus. 
And when we read the passages of scripture and it asks us to live a certain way, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, but you don't really know my neighbor. They're awful. <laughs> we, we sometimes have that impression that for some reason, I can, I can circumvent the commands of scripture or, the, or the, what Jesus asks us, the way that Jesus asks us, because we know better. Come on. We shouldn't live that way. Oh, you should give, give your money to the poor. Yeah, but they won't, they won't get any better then. I mean, they don't need any money. They just need a, you know, someone else to take care of them. No, there's a, there's a demand that we take care of those who are less fortunate. We don't really know what the deep secrets or the problem or the, the teaching of this woman was. But, there, but the church has a 2,000-year history now, and we, we do have an idea of what kind of deep secrets and what kind of problems have happened since then. And there's, and I don't know right now if some of us are even believing these kind of like wrong teachings. But I would present a few clues that perhaps you're out to lunch. And I, I, I apply this to myself as well. So occasionally I start believing things and I need to ask myself, hey, am I, am I following Jesus or am I following some kind of what, what the passage called Satan's so-called deep secrets. Well, here, here are three things that I, I use as clues to help myself when I'm not 100% sure that I'm following the right thing. For one, if what I'm starting to believe or the information I'm, trying, I'm presented with is contrary to the example of Jesus, I genuinely believe it's not from him. <laughs> so if, 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 I, if I come across a teaching that says that, uh, for example, men are much superior than women, to women, and there are churches that have presented this in the past, I don't see that in Jesus at all, who included women as his apostles and as his leaders. Um, if we, we, we have a, a, a theology that encourages violence and war, then I think that's contrary to the example of Jesus who said to turn the other cheek. So, so already that's a, a one sign. Often, if there's an insistence on secrets, I find this is, this is really prominent and they're very tempting. Hey, if I worship by using the right words, I can get a Mercedes. I know it. I can claim it. I'll pray a certain passage a certain way. Jabez will help me. Um, I, I don't know if that rings any bells, but, there, but there's, this, there's this mentality in some places that there's this, this, this you know, if there's a secret way to get what you want. Often, our 2,000-year history of the church shows that there, is, there, is, there are times when these secrets come up and then they disappear because really, it's not from Jesus. It's, it's turning God into some kind of magic formula and it's not what, 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 what Jesus wants for us. And the, fine, the final thing is that if it's starting to downplay the importance of behaving rightly, if it's encouraging us to behave in a way that's selfish, self-serving, and not honoring God, then it's probably more of Satan's so-called deep secrets and bad teaching. So we don't really know exactly what the bad teaching in Thyatira was, but one, one uh, commentator, uh, N.T. Wright, said that it could have been this. 
and I really like this passage. It says, some may have even embraced a teaching according to which the Christian's freedom from sin means that he can, he or she can, and perhaps should explore the satanic depths, going boldly right into the enemy camp, enemy's camp just to show how invulnerable one was. Maybe it was this. This idea that because we're forgiven from sin, we're protected by Jesus, by his forgiveness of us, we can do whatever we want. And we should probably even go and, like, everyone's talking about this Game of Thrones show. I should check it out. I heard it's really raunchy and bad, and there's lots of things, but I should go check it out just to know what these satanic secrets are. Sometimes that's it. And and I'm not trying to come across as judgmental or, or, or put certain things as right behavior or bad behavior, but I think that we have a conscience and often if we're listen, if our, listening to our conscience and something strikes us as we should probably not do, be doing this, if we come across a teaching that said, no, no, you probably should, because it's, but it's important to understand how Satan works. Well, maybe, maybe there's some, some, some badness to that, that mentality. And that's, I think, what Thyatira might have been facing. They had this option of, hey, you want to be part of the, 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 the bronze working guild? Well, you need to be part of these cult meals where there's going to be food sacrificed to idols and perhaps some kind of sexual activity. But if you want to be part of it and make some money, you should probably do that. Otherwise, I mean, you're going to be like a social pariah. You're going to be, you're going to be a, an outcast. That's maybe what the temptation was. Hey, you want to sell linen really well and make a lot of money? Well, if you're going to do that, then you need to meet this guy. I mean, this guy's a crook and he's awful, but you should meet him because, I mean, he's, he's connected. That could have been what the temptation in Thyatira was. Now, that's, that was then. But now, for us now, we have to ask that question, how do I follow Jesus, the one who has real authority. Now, what are the temptations, the false teachings that we might be tempted to to compromise on? We might have to ask that question, does it matter how I act around my friends or how I act at work? Um, Does it matter in what place I invest my money? How I file my taxes? (laughs) What am I going to try to avoid paying because everyone's doing it. Um, How am I going to um, date and get to know my future spouse? Is is there a reason, way I should do that? Or, oh, everyone's doing it this way. There's these apps now, it's great. But is it? Um, I find this really hard and and my heart goes out to the the teenagers and young adults who, who are in CJEPs and universities and they have this impression that everyone is living a certain kind of life when it comes to, to, to dating and sex or even just like the kind of personality that they want to show to others. And um, if I don't act like them, what will other people think of me? How can I be a person of integrity in, in a place where integrity is not cool? I find that hard. Does it matter what I watch on TV? Does it matter how I treat my coworkers? Am I, if I'm a Christian, do I need, um, do, I, do I need to show it by how I act and live? Now, the danger of asking those questions is often it, it brings us, it, it steps us towards this kind of moral living 
where Christian, Christianity becomes like the series of rules, and you have to follow these rules to be a good Christian. And we know that we are forgiven by Jesus and that our sins are washed away. And that we're not, and our, our sins are washed away not so that we can start piling on new rules and be miser- even more miserable than before. Our sins are washed away so that we're completely forgiven in Jesus. So the invitation here isn't to add more rules and make your lives more complicated and more difficult. It's actually to, to focus in on what's the most important. What's the priority number one in your life? And the question that we're asked is, what do you clutch most tightly? So, so in verse 24, Jesus speaks to the church in Thyatira that's struggling with this, has this teacher who says, you compromise, do whatever you want, Jesus will forgive you anyway, um, doesn't matter how you live, go eat food sacrifice to idols, make a whole bunch of money, have sex, just whatever, go for it. But he says this, now I say to the rest of you, this is verse 24, I'm reading it again, to you who do not hold on to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. So it's not like, here are a bunch of new rules. Instead, he says this, except to hold on to what you have until I come. So what do we have? We have faith in a God who has saved us and who loves us. And in the, in the situation of Thyatira, they have this persevering faith. They have a growing faith. They have a knowledge of who Jesus is. And the, the, ask, the question is to hold on to that, to make that the most important thing when you rise in the morning to when you go to bed at night, holding on to this desire to be like Jesus, to be his disciple. So it's not to add a series of rules you need to follow because otherwise you're not following the rules. No, it's not like playing a board game and then you have to like read the instructions properly. No, it's like who is the person that we need to hold on to and imitate? It's Jesus. So it comes back to that question. When we come to the passage in Thyatira, do we come for the information about what we're allowed to do or not do? I think it's, I think, I think it's on purpose that we don't know exactly what the heresy was, what the bad teaching was, because it doesn't matter what it was. We're not here for the information. We're here for the transformation, a fresh understanding that what you believe matters, particularly if it's going to influence how you live your life. What you do matters. And it comes with a promise. And this is where it gets really exciting. Jesus says, to the one This is Revelations 2.18, verse 26. uh, 2, verse 26. To the one who is victorious and holds on to the end, the one and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. The one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces of pottery. That's a reference to a, a, a psalm in Psalm 2. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, what does that mean? It's again, back, back into that museum of modern art. What does that mean? Well, now, now, my first thought, and my son would probably think the same thing as me, the Morning Star is not a weapon. That was my first thought. It's not a, it's not a form of mace. No, that's not what it is. The Morning Star is, the, um, imagine a time when, when we didn't have like the electric lights and lampstands and stuff like that. Um, 
the morning star is when you're outside the dead of night and it's three or four in the morning and it's a bright star that rises early in the morning. And people who would navigate by the stars or who would know the stars would know that when this star comes, you know that morning is close. Because remember, at the time, you didn't have a watch. You didn't know um, exactly when the sun was going to rise. And, and you'd kind of just kind of wonder, hey, what time is it exactly? When the morning star appears, you know that even if it's the darkest time of night, that light, that bright light rising, shows that hope is coming. It shows that Jesus is on the way, because that's what the morning star is. And it actually, it's every single one of these passages to the churches ends with a promise that comes up later in Revelation. So as we look later into Revelation, you can see these promises. And the very last bit of Revelation 22, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. So who is the star that rises in the darkest of nights and shows us the way and, that, and gives us the hope that the morning is coming, that the bright light is coming? Well, that's Jesus. Jesus is the bright morning star. And if you hold on tightly to Jesus, what is the reward? What comes from that? When you're tempted to compromise and decide to hold on instead, what's the point of that? Well, it's the intimacy we get with Jesus. That's the prize. And it's worth everything that we compromise, that we choose not to compromise on. All the sacrifices that we're invited to make to follow Jesus are worthwhile because we get Jesus. Now, maybe some of you don't know Jesus the way that, that I do, and that seems like a kind of a, a bum deal. Really? Jesus? What's, what's, what's the, why is that a big reward? Well, you should get to know him. Stick around. Uh, listen. Read up on it. See who Jesus is. It's worth looking into. I'd sacrifice it all if I could have Jesus. That's, that's, uh, that's what I hope for you as well, that, that God would, would shape your hearts and that his spirit will, will give you this desire to hold tightly to him. And when temptation comes or in figures of authority or in people try to influence you away or clickbait you away, from, from, from following Jesus and knowing him, that you'll hold tightly to Jesus. Let me, let me pray for you, church. Hmm. Lord, I, I thank you for this, uh, this beautiful congregation of people that you've brought together here. I thank you that in, despite their busy lives and all the worries and commitments and possible other things that could be filling their lives at this moment, that they've decided to come and try holding tightly to you, coming for transformation, not just information, but your invitation to be changed by you. I thank you for these letters to these churches and how we can see ourselves in them. Help us see um, where we've been following false teachers. There are so many voices and people that have encouraged us to live certain ways or believe certain things or, or marry ourselves to different ideologies that have nothing to do with who you are, Jesus. Convict us with your Holy Spirit. 
Invite us to follow you more closely and hold tightly to you. Help us encourage our kids in that way. Help us live lives that reflect you to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.